millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, learn about a new project to help U.S. attorneys and local law enforcement get a handle on violent crime. Then the VA wants Mississippi veterans to know they have a place to turn instead of taking their own lives. And in this week's book club, a blind Mississippian tells us about her three guide dogs over the years in Go With Your Dog. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. start this morning at Camp Shelby in Hattiesburg. At least 22 soldiers training there have been injured during a night parachuting exercise. U.S. Army spokesman John Pennell tells WDAM at least 15 people hurt at Camp Shelby were treated by medics and another seven were hospitalized. Staff Sergeant John Healy says none of the injuries are considered to be life-threatening. Camp Shelby Commander Colonel Bobby Ginn says the troopers belong to the 4th Brigade of the 25th Infantry Infantry Division stationed in Alaska. Nearly 90 paratroopers were on the plane for the Wednesday night exercise. Altogether, 650 soldiers were involved in the exercise. About 3,000 troops from the Alaska base are at a month-long training at Camp Shelby called Operation Arctic Anvil. In other news, U.S. attorneys from Mississippi are in Memphis for a multi-state summit on violent crime. Mike Hurst, U.S. attorney for the Southern District, says they're working on how to do be- or how to better coordinate crime fighting by fostering more collaboration among law enforcement agencies. Hurst talks with MPB's Desiree Frazier. There are a lot of opportunities, and I think uh, summits like this, opportunities to get together and uh, for law enforcement to tr- trade contacts best practices, what works well in one district. I think these are all good things, and I think the more we do this, I think the more successful we'll be. What are you hearing from people uh, as major concerns that you can share? Well, we're still seeing a lot of gang violence, uh, especially up here in Memphis, I'm being told. Um, in the Jackson area, as you know, we, we still have a, a large number of homicides. One homicide is too many, but the good news is, Desiree, that 
uh, in the first year that we really started tackling violent crime in the city of Jackson, overall violent crime failed 7%. So by working closely with Jackson Police Department, with the FBI, with ATF, uh, with the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, with others, um, I can see and, and bringing in community. You know, we, we've been doing a lot in our schools. We've been doing a lot in our nonprofits, our faith-based community. Um, I can see a real turnaround in Jackson if things are look, looking promising. What can you bring back from this that you can use in trying to fight violent crime? Well, we've heard some presentations today from the United States Marshals on what their future task force has been able to do, uh, coming in and being a force multiplier for our local law enforcement. We've heard some um, training on uh frankly, mental health and wellness of our officers. Uh, so many times these brave men and women go into the fight and try to protect us, the citizens and our families, and uh, we, we sometimes neglect the, uh, the tough job that they do and, and the you know, wellness training, the wellness um, the, the needs they need in order to be able to do their job. And so we're trying to get uh, information out to them to help make sure that they take care of themselves so that they can take care of us. Mississippi Southern District U.S. Attorney Mike Hurst. Chief Ray Reynolds is with the Magnolia Police Department. That's in South Mississippi near Macomb. Chief Reynolds tells our Desiree Frazier training opportunities with bigger agencies can be helpful for resource-strapped departments like his. Most smart departments, like, and we're not unique. I think most of us have to multitask, whereas larger departments are able to have uh, people to specialize in a particular area. But uh, with a smaller department, we we find ourselves having to do, uh, well, let's just say wear many hats. There is a multi-state uh, violent crime summit going on in Memphis involving uh, Mississippi's U.S. attorneys and um, other departments trying to uh, figure out ways to collaborate federal, state, local law enforcement. What challenges do you have, if any, in coordinating do you coordinate with other law enforcement? Absolutely. We have a local association that uh, we associate with, and that and that involves the local chief and the local sheriffs of, of the neighboring counties. And, and I think that uh, communication is key, being able to talk with uh, our counterparts and, and to be able to share information about uh, ongoing investigations that we may have going on and uh, because I always feel like some of our neighboring uh, agencies is probably having to deal with some of the same people that we're uh, having to deal with. Uh, and uh, but I I I think that uh, communicating uh, communication with our neighboring agencies is key to helping to uh, to solve a lot of crime and to deter uh, crime. What type of crime are you dealing with? Most, you know, you're just like any other community. You know, there's always the element of drugs. Uh, our, actually, our property crime is low. doesn't mean that we don't have a few break-ins here and there. But uh, uh, for the most part, uh, we, we deal with a lot of things, you know, that having to do with maybe domestic violence and things of that, 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 that type of nature. We haven't, you know, as far as, Major crimes like murder and robberies, uh, those are few and far uh, apart. Well, Chief Reynolds, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You have a great day. 
Coming up, the VA wants Mississippi veterans to know they have a place to turn instead of taking their own lives. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The VA Medical Center in Jackson is trying to reduce the number of veteran suicides in the state. Nationally, more than 6,000 veterans die by suicide every year. A new suicide awareness campaign called Be There has been launched. Its purpose is to encourage community leaders, veterans, families, and friends to help prevent suicide by supporting those going through a difficult time. We are joined by Dr. David Walker, Medical Director at the Sunny Montgomery VA Medical Center. Later, we'll hear from Brandon Dobson, the Suicide Prevention Coordinator at the Sunny Montgomery VA. First, Dr. Walker talks about resources to help veterans. So it's very very concerning because we have resources to help veterans. I mean, we actually go into jails looking for veterans. We can take a veteran who even had a, a characterized discharge and an emergency treat them. And we what know, does that mean, characterized? So somebody could have been discharged from the military for disciplinary reasons where they're not eligible for care. And for psychiatric emergencies, we can actually treat them. It has to be at the VA. We cannot send them to a private facility. But again, it's another way of trying to reduce the number of suicides. We have staff that go into jails because we know that those incarcerated are at higher risk, especially when they're first incarcerated in jail. And so we do that. We go into the prison system, and when somebody's about to get out, we make sure they have an appointment. Brandon, you are the suicide prevention coordinator. Yes, I am. It sounds like you're more involved with training staff than coming face-to-face with those who may need that counseling. Well, typically, I also do that, too. I work with the Veterans Crisis Line, which is a national hotline that you can use throughout the country, uh, 1-800-273-8255, press 1 for veterans. Um, with the Veterans Crisis Line, people can call that hotline line at any time and they can be in a mental health crisis they could be in a physical crisis but what they do typically after they talk to that responder they send a consult to my department my staff and we work with that veteran to help with whatever crisis issue they have dr walker for those who are coming back after being deployed are they most likely more likely to suffer from ptsd when they've actually seen combat or violence while being over there yes what we know is that depression and ptsd which is a type of anxiety disorder that we see that in troops that return in addition you can see uh, problems with alcohol or substances sometimes in substances it could be a prescription medication that one can then struggle with. But, but that's a symptom, isn't it? It, it, uh, it certainly is. What you can find is uh, depression is probably one of the most common uh, things that we see in returning troops. Post-traumatic stress disorder is also seen. And so we, we know that that happens. And so we are doing things for the, for instance, the 155th that returned this year, earlier this spring, we know that they have had suicide attempts already. And so we're actually working with them to now get those individuals who weren't veteran eligible before, because you have to be on active duty for a certain period of time, not just being in the guard to be eligible 
to get care at the VA. Now all the 3,400 that were deployed are now veteran eligible. And so we're working with the National Guard here in Mississippi to get them enrolled. Brandon, give us an example of someone who has suicidal thoughts coming into the program for help. Take us through what they go through. Typically, um, they will start to have maybe some type of mental health symptom. Maybe they're depressed, having some anxiety. Maybe they are suffering from PTSD, um, having nightmares, um, flashbacks of being in a war-type situation, um, then we would like them to come to the, the VA. What we would do, we would do an assessment with them. We have mental health services 24 hours a day. Um, if it's a crisis situation, they're having uh, suicidal ideation, they can come to our emergency room uh, and be evaluated by one of our providers. But if they're just needing more uh, treatment and kind of get an evaluation without having those symptoms, they can come to our third floor and be evaluated by a provider. That provider would typically ask them questions about their symptoms, uh, kind of learn a little bit more about them to kind of see what's the best way to kind of treat them, whether it's medication management or counseling or both, or if they need more specialized treatment with our specialty clinics, whether it's um, alcohol and drugs, maybe they need more specialty care with our EBP team. They can definitely do some more intense type What does therapies. that mean, EBP? EBP evidence-based practice. And uh, we know that evidence-based practice is, is definitely the go-to when treating mental illness. Dr. Walker, you said you had the resources from the government. But the VA is also a bureaucracy. I'm wondering how you treat individuals. How do you get through the red tape and you're actually getting to that person who needs help so badly? Okay, so we have same-day access in mental health. So if somebody is having a crisis, they will be seen that day. And if it's after hours, our emergency room is always available. And so we have same-day access if same-day access is needed. Now, if somebody wants to get in the system, but they don't feel like it's an emergency today, on the access to care.va.gov, you can actually see our average wait times for mental health. And so, and we track that every day. And so for us, our goal is for it to always be less than 20 days. Someone is listening. Okay. A veteran is listening right now. They've been having some nightmares. They've been drinking a little too much. They feel anxiety. What do they do? Because it's hard to reach out, I think. And there may be fear, like, if I go in, they're going to say, hey, you're really messed up. We're going to keep you here. You know, what do they do? So uh, the, first, the concern about being kept or being committed is, is the legal term. So uh, very few patients are ever committed. And those are ones that are uh, actively wanting to hurt someone else or they're wanting to hurt themselves and they're not willing uh, to do anything other than hurt themselves. So they're acutely dangerous to themselves or others. Yes, we would keep them in the hospital, but there's a whole due process with that. That's actually a very small number. Instead, they could be seen in primary care, which most patients are actually seen in primary care. They're going to be asked about their drinking. They're going to be asked about their mood or their anxiety. And if they say yes, then that triggers additional questions to see, hey, what is needed for you? 
it's not like uh, everything's a hammer and a nail, and instead it's what do you need? And so the, the veteran should go to their primary care physician first. So in our system, you can go to primary care or you can go straight to mental health. Some people may not be in mental health and they might not feel comfortable going straight to mental health. They could actually go to primary care and then tell someone in primary care, hey, I need help. I'm, I'm having trouble with my drinking or I'm having trouble with nightmares or with my mood. Primary care can actually help them, too, because we have mental health embedded in primary care. I'd definitely like to add everything that they that you tell us is confidential. We don't tell anybody that you've come to our facility. We don't tell anybody your business. We're here just wanting to get you help. And I think sometimes, um, a lot of times, especially military people, they can maybe feel that sense of, um, I, I don't need the help. I want to make sure my buddy gets the help. That's Brandon Dobson. He's the suicide prevention coordinator. And Dr. David Walker is the medical center director, I should say, the uh, study Montgomery. VA Medical Center Director. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. To contact the Veterans Crisis Line, visit va.gov or call 1-800-273-TALK and press 1. Coming up in this week's book club, a blind Mississippian tells us about her three guide dogs over the years in Go With Your Dog. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In today's book club, we meet a woman who is blind and has relied on guide dogs to help her make her way through the world. Anna, Mac, and Fergie worked hard and played hard over the years. In her book, Go With Your Dog, Karen Brown, yes, Karen Brown, takes readers on a journey with her beloved canines. I lost my sight in my mid-20s slowly, and by the time I was 30, when my son was born, I was totally blind. Tell us what it takes to get a service dog, how they're trained, and then how you work with them before you even bring them home. Well, the first thing you do is apply to one of the accredited dog guide schools. And I chose the Seeing Eye, which is the oldest and the first guide dog school in the United States. I went to Morristown and stayed three and a half weeks to train with my first guide dog, a German Shepherd named Anna. The trainers get a lot of information about you even before you arrive, things like where you will be working the dog, what your family's like. Then once you're there, they walk with you in a walk they call the Juno Walk, where they hold the harness, and you are following the trainer, but you're holding a harness handle. They get the idea about how strong your upper body strength is, how fast you walk, And then the trainers all meet and look over all the dogs they have ready for turnover that are fully trained, and they decide which one is the right match. And they always ask you, please don't specify that you only want a certain breed or sex of dog because we want to get the dog matched with you that we feel is best. The dog works for you. Mm -hmm. I would imagine you establish a close personal relationship. Absolutely. The years that I spent with my dogs, they were with me 24 hours a day, slept by the side of my bed at night. But when they did not have the harness on, that was a signal that they were off duty. They were not working. And because I had a small boy at the time, and he had friends in and out of the house, and later when they were older, the kids played in the backyard, 
my dog was free when she or he was not in harness to interact with people and to play and just be off duty and be a dog. My first dog loved to play fetch. She would wear the kids out. (laughs) (laughs) Your first dog was Anna. How long was she with you? I had her for 10 years. And literally, Anna worked until the day she died. I knew she was getting older, and probably it was about time to retire her because she was having more trouble getting into the bus that I took to work each day. But she was at my office one day when she collapsed, and she did not live but a few hours after that, after we got her to the vet. And that was really hard for the whole family because she was such a part of our lives. How soon after did you get your next dog, and who was that? I applied and let seeing I know immediately that I needed to come back for a replacement dog, but I did not get to go until the next fall. Anna died in May, but in the fall, I went to the seeing eye again, and I was matched with a male golden retriever named Mac. And this truly is why they want the student to remain open-minded, because I secretly wanted another German Shepherd just like Anna. And when I first was told I was going to have a male golden retriever, I went, oh, dear. But he was the most wonderful dog. (laughs) They were right. (laughs) How long did you have Mac? He only worked for me for six years because Mac got a very serious mast cell tumor. At that point, I took him to the School of Veterinarian Medicine at Mississippi State University. And they told me the only way to save his life was to amputate his leg. We did have Mac another year before the cancer took his life. And so he and my next dog, a female golden retriever named Fergie, were kind of buddies in the house. How long did you have her? I had her 10 years. Between Anna and Mac and Fergie, Mm -hmm. was there one that was better at their job than another? They were all so unique, just like people. Anna was so smart. And like a lot of German shepherds, once she bonded to me, I was the best thing that had ever come into her life. I mean, she was so totally focused. My dog, Mac, was in love with me from the moment he was turned over. And I immediately forgot about having another German shepherd. He would follow me like a shadow from room to room. And then Fergie, she was nicknamed the princess. And she was such a funny little personality and every bit feminine. I pictured her as having long eyelashes and batting them at people because (laughs) she loved to get attention. I say Fergie walked into a room looking for admirers and she almost always found them. (laughs) We've been talking about the dogs, obviously, because the title is Go With Your Dog. But I know your book is also about you and your life. I want people to know that they're getting more than just the dogs from your book. But again, it's called Go With Your Dog. We've been speaking with the author who is no relation. Karen Brown is her name. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Karen will be at Lemuria Books in Jackson next Tuesday, October 8th at 5 o'clock. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.